Welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click, the e-commerce podcast for brands looking for their next growth opportunities. If you're interested in improving your conversion rates, average order values, and customer lifetime value, head over to customerswhoclick.com where you can find all our previous episodes and get in touch if you'd like to learn more. Join us as we dive into the exciting worlds of funnels. In today's podcast, things get interesting as I'm joined by Ethan Denny, the brain behind ConvertFlow. While it's popular for B2B stuff, we're about to uncover how funnels work for D2C brands. Ethan and I chat about why funnels matter, connecting the dots between old school methods and the fast-paced direct-to-consumer scene. If you're wondering how to make your brand rise using funnels, Ethan's got the scoop. No need for more waiting, let's give Ethan a warm welcome. This chat's sure to get you thinking, so grab a drink and let's jump in. Hi Ethan, thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just to introduce yourself, give us a bit of your background and how you got to where you are today? Hey Will, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm Ethan Denny, I'm the co-founder and CEO of ConvertFlow. ConvertFlow is the all-in-one funnel builder for e-commerce. So we help brands essentially launch their funnels fast, convert more shoppers faster. Brands can essentially create pop-ups, landing pages, one-click upsells, all these different types of campaigns to and quizzes to guide shoppers from visit to purchase all through one experience there. Awesome. Sounds great. So how do you get customers with click how do you get customers clicking with funnels? I suppose it's to me, well, a little while ago it would have felt a bit more of a B2B thing. I feel like funnels or like what people consider funnels are much more common in B2B or like high ticket sales. Yeah. I feel like, but for like D2C, yeah, how do you work this? How do you get customers clicking? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, for the individual brands, I think you're, I I could totally understand what you're saying where the concept of funnels is definitely used more in in the B2B space, but in in the e-commerce and direct-to-consumer space, they're operating, they're still using a funnel to drive top of the funnel traffic and then converting that traffic into customers. And so getting customers to essentially click, these brands basically need to convert that top of the funnel traffic. And nowadays, it's a little bit, things are a little harder for e-commerce. There's, they're facing some headwinds. There's issues with advertising where the cost to acquire customers are higher. There's the tracking issues and the attribution issues, things like that. And so they're having to think a little bit longer term and think about what that experience looks like, both guiding the shopper from visit to purchase in that first session, as well as multi-touch across other channels using SMS, email retargeting, thinking a little bit longer about how they're going to increase LTV and how they're going to increase the return on ad spend across multiple purchases, essentially. Yeah. So would you use a funnel for, like, are we talking about funnels for acquisition purchases, purposes even? Yeah. (laughs) Get my words right. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Is it it very much an acquisition focus or would you use it at any stage in the customer journey? Yeah. So when ConvertFlow actually launched, we focused primarily on, on B2B companies. About two years ago, we really doubled down on e-commerce. So with that in mind, we essentially have built a platform that allows you to think of your funnel and optimize the funnel across the customer journey. So that means targeting anonymous visitors and converting those visitors into, let's say, subscribers or contacts or leads, and then being able to convert those contacts into customers, and then being able to grow the value of those customers over time. Our platform allows you to sync up your CRM and target by data in your CRM on the website and personalize the experience for the shopper. And so, yeah, it, it is definitely across the customer journey. But obviously with e-commerce brands, a lot of you know what they're selling, customers buy on impulse. And so they are able to convert a shopper from a, just an anonymous visitor into a customer in the first session. Yes, it's a bit more about 
yeah, I suppose a lot of B2B, e- even simple B2B can be quite, it still takes a few days. At the middle, yeah. At least to activate someone. I mean, right. you can, I've done it plenty of times where I've created an account. I've had no intention of using that product right there and then. I've created the account because I want to get an email to, that I can then remind myself with that I thought that this tool was interesting. Sure. Check it out later. So I think with B2C, or D2C, with a lot of products out there, you probably can just sell it straight away. Unless we're talking about, I don't know, like a hot tub or a car or something. Yeah. That, Maybe it takes Right. Like the higher ticket items. Yeah. And now with the the uh, tracking, like being limited to like seven days or maybe 30 days max for certain, uh, certain maybe advertising channels, it just makes it a lot harder. And so brands are really optimizing for that first sale and being able to break even on that and then worrying about maybe increasing the return on their uh, ad spend by getting the customer to purchase multiple products over time. Yeah. Does this work for like particular types of brands? So does it work better for a brand that has maybe five, like 10 SKUs, maybe a couple of heroes and some complementing products? Or can it work for a retailer who's got 5,000 SKUs? Yeah, both. But I mean, definitely, I think if you've got fewer SKUs, let's say 10, 10 products or more, but you're able to create a more personalized shopping experience that you're able to essentially give a little bit more attention to each product and maybe bundling products and selling those items properly, writing great copy around the bundled items that you're selling or the products that you're selling, making sure that you create a really seamless experience on the site that's personalized and uh, and gets the shopper to convert. When you have thousands of products, then you're, I think the funnels that you create are more so to like accelerate and enable a product discovery and getting people to the right collection product page faster. And then from there, optimizing the journey. But there's a lot more that you could do, I think, to improve conversions when you're focused on fewer SKUs. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, I used to work with a footwear retailer and yeah, they probably had five, 6,000 SKUs. Wow. You can't build very specific funnels for that. But also, I think what we found was, in fact, I was talking to someone about this the other day, people don't necessarily know what they want. Right. They've got an idea of what they want. And they will search for something. The example we were using was someone who searches for a Black & Decker power drill. Right, That seems like quite a specific search. Sure. Someone might click on a shopping ad for that. It doesn't necessarily mean they want a Black & Decker power drill. It potentially could mean they just want a power tool of some sort. But they know that brand name and power drill is the first thing that comes to mind. So they just search it. And I think with the retail side, it was someone would look for a product like Converse because that's the style, right. the kind of style of shoe they wanted. Don't, n- didn't necessarily want a Converse shoe. Uh, they were open to suggestions around that as well. But rather than doing a generic buy trainers online or buy shoes online, they went down a more specific route. It kind of gets you to the retailer that you want to be on. Yeah, I suppose it's the way of looking at it. It helps you filter out some other stuff. But if you built a funnel that was super we're not going to let you out of this. You've got to buy a Converse shoe. You probably lose that person. Possibly. And I think then understanding the intent of the shopper, if they're trying to abandon and maybe this product's not the right fit for them, then there's all kinds of things that you can do if you do offer multiple products and maybe some alternatives to be able to recommend an alternative or help them understand what they're, help like help, help guide them to potential alternatives that could work for them. And in the process, understand what that shopper is looking for. Maybe it informs future product decisions or 
other brands that you can collaborate with, perhaps possibly drive sales of their products. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I having this conversation earlier today, actually, about like so many web for so many websites, it's like going to a store, a physical store, you step inside and there's just someone waiting at the till for you and that's it. That's all they do. Okay. And they just they're just happy for you to browse and that's it. And there's no signposts or anything. I think the example I used was Primark. Yeah. yeah. That, apart from the floors that are that are labeled as different categories, I don't think there's any signage really on the floors itself. So you're basically left to just wander around, walk around. And I think that works really well for them because it because everything's quite cheap. Mm. It encourages people to just pick up more items. You see something new else, and you go, "Oh yeah, I'll have that as well." But for a website, it doesn't really work like that. People have an idea of what they want. They need help getting to it. So we were kind of talking about is there is there currently some sort of AI concierge thing that would like a chatbot that would be able to answer any questions you've got, but also act like a bit of a search function as well. Sure. And say if you just type for it, almost like can you point me in the direction of your shoe department? It would just give you the link straight for all men's shoes. Something like that. I think quiz funnels achieve that to some degree. Obviously, there's different ways to go about it. I mean, there are chatbots and there are like these search, like recommend these search solutions that you can use that then like auto recommend different products based on keywords and things like that. But quiz funnels are a pretty interesting tool that brands can deploy that can deliver a similar experience where in a matter of two to three questions, you can find out the high level sort of interest and intent of a shopper and be able to guide them either to the right collection or product or even like a bundle of products. So yeah, I can recreate that experience of offline retail where you walk to a clothing store and someone walks up to you and says, Hey, what you're looking, what are you looking for? Are you looking for pants or shoes? And you guide them to the right, right solution. And then maybe give them an offer saying like, Hey, today we're doing a buy one, get one free on these specific pairs, it might incentivize them to make a purchase on those products. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I am a fan of a quiz, a product quiz. Nice. But they can be quite hit and miss. I've seen some really good ones. Yeah. Well, some really good ones that ask you quite specific questions and you, but you can answer them because your answer to that question, even though the way they use that data might be a bit different. So the example that I always use that I've wanted to try out for ages is if I had like an alcohol website, uh-huh. sp- spirits in particular, I'm mainly thinking whiskey, but it works across everything. You ask questions like, how do you have your coffee? Or well, which hot drink do you prefer? Sure. And you'd have like tea, hot chocolate, black coffee, latte, I don't know, a couple of others. Then you might have which dessert would you pick at a restaurant? You'd have like a chocolate brownie, a cheese board, a citrus thing, and maybe ice cream or something. You're asking people questions that they know the answer to. It may not seem relevant to to those products, but they know the answer to those questions. And then you can put that data together and say, okay, based on your answers, we recommend these three drinks. Right. Like certain whiskeys or things like that. That works really well. That works fantastically. I was looking at a brand today from my newsletter. They had a quiz. It's a skincare brand, right? And I think for skincare, this works so well. Yeah, for basically saying, what other skin problem? What is the skin problem you're have, you're facing? And someone clicks one. Then you ask them another question, a couple of other questions. You present uh, some recommendations. Two weird things they did, or one weird thing, one just not very good. Towards the end of the, the quiz, they had an open text question, huh. which was something like, "What is your favorite 
self-care routine. Interesting. Or it wasn't routine, like self-care activity, I think was the word. And I do like that question because you're going to get a load of answers that could be really interesting if you dig into it. But you can't automate anything off that. Yeah. I can't really at the moment. Maybe AI will allow you to later. But also, I doubt there's anyone who's reading those answers. And Possibly. Really or maybe they're just into account. Maybe they're just uh, forming like a keyword cloud at some point to inform like their future product decisions. Or maybe they're just, like you said, no one's reading it and yeah. it's kind of going to waste. I mean, I suppose one way they could use it, I noticed on one of their product pages, they had a like a how do you use the product mm. sort of thing. And it said you apply it to your, it was a face mask, you apply it to your face, you leave it for 10 minutes. And they said, while it's on, go and do XYZ. I can't remember what the options were, but it specified a couple of things. Maybe that's where they, you could use that data. And if it says loads of people like to meditate, then they could switch that in and say, now you've got 10 minutes to just meditate and chill. Possibly. Something like that. Yeah, that could be pretty cool. Quite well, quite well. Yeah, that way it's more integrated yeah. in their like routine and lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so I suppose it's gathering that voice of customer, mm. which is really important. You get that messaging on the website properly. That is really cool. It just seemed a bit, it seemed a little bit unlinked and yeah, I wasn't sure about it. But the other thing they did was at the end of the quiz, it literally just showed me four products all with an add to cart button. That was it. No, no selling point, no, selling no information. I think you could probably click through into those products, but the fact that the call to action was add to cart, right? Like from my experience testing, that has a worse conversion rate than no button at all. Interesting. People think their only option is to add to cart. Sure. When they might want to read some info. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. I th- they'd kind of gone down this route of like, we know we can recommend you some products based off your answers, but we're now not going to tell you any information about why we've recommended you these products, which is just a bit, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like, I, I hear some customers uh, talk about that as well. And it, part of that might be limitations of certain tools, but ultimately if the brand like can include those selling points, they're just going to do a much better job at selling the products. And if they can include, if they recommend the products it, as a, a path to getting a certain outcome, which like these skincare brands do really well. So for example, let's say you've got dry skin and the, after the, after taking the quiz, They've determined, okay, well, based on you having dry skin and your certain lifestyle decisions, we recommend this specific routine. The page that people get dropped on with the recommended products can all can be about solving that problem, helping you get the outcome that you want, and then recommending the right routine with these specific products. I mean, and so there, if you can write great copy and kind of add all this context to the products that you're recommending, then you know, you're going to have a higher conversion rate. I saw this brand recently called Primarily Pure, which does a great job on their quiz result pages where they recommend a whole routine. They answer, they have like a great FAQ and all these selling points around the products that they recommend. And they even recommended products. They give you a good, better, and best option where it's like based on certain tabs, they recommend like a set of products and then the best tab like has maybe five or six products. And yeah, it's pretty interesting the way they executed that. It's really interesting seeing some of these pop things pop up and going, oh, I really like this. And then when you look at it a bit more, you go, they've not quite executed it right. Mm. So, I mean, the, my thought process for this brand was, so the results it gave me were acne-based products, right? That's based off what I put in. Sure. They recommended four products for that. And I thought, well, I know you've got bundles on the site, 
why don't you just recommend me a bundle of these products and you can push me to a landing page which just has all the content about these products. So just Leah, like like what you were saying, right? Just take it to that next level. There's a PC, custom PC website called Cyberpower Systems, I think it is, which does that kind of better, oh, cool. better, best thing. Yeah, you answer the questions, budget, what games do you like? I don't think the questions are great, in my opinion, because there's some things that people won't know. So it'll ask you, do you like NVIDIA or Ryzen or whatever it's called? I can't remember the other one, the graphics cards. Right. If you don't know, I think NVIDIA is probably the more commonly known one. So you're probably more likely to click that. But they have, I think, four options starting from best. So best is their worst one. I mean, when I say for starting from something like that, it's like best, better, something else, and then like excellent or something like that. Interesting. So I found it odd that it starts with best. Yeah. And then they get better from there. But also you've then got a page of about 50 different products. Wow. Like it's not, it was like, you're so close with this and I like what you're doing, but you've put four products in me, you've labeled them all as pretty good. And then, and then you've listed basically every product below it anyway. Well, then that's the opportunity for CRO agencies and platforms to help them out. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I'm onto them at the moment, actually. (laughs) That's great. Do you think, is there phrases could a funnel approach make a standard website a bit redundant do you think or at least for an acquisition point of view like for retention obviously people come back they should just browse things but you're from an acquisition point of view is there any reason to send someone to a standard website as opposed to a funnel which might open up a bit later yeah so by default i think everyone every brand every company should have standard website with your your returning traffic goes back to maybe some of your f- first time visitors go to. I think funnel like taking that funnel approach works really well if you've got direct traffic. So for example, if you're running paid ads or you have direct traffic from specific channels where you understand more about more uh, about the intent of that visitor and you're trying to guide it guide them to purchase pretty quickly. You have certain ads that bring them in and give them a certain level of context, and then from there you can take them through a pretty streamlined approach. Now on a standard site, let's say it's just an e-commerce store, you still take that funnel approach, but it's, I think you have to understand where shoppers land, what referral, what traffic source drove them there. What is the purchase intent that you're able to sort of pick up on a visitor based on the pages they landed on? So for example, if they landed on content versus a product page, their purchase intent is going to be quite different depending on the type of content or like if they're on a collection page, for example, or the home page, their purchase intent is going to be quite different. And so from there, it's a matter of like identifying their purchase intent and then being able to guide them to write product pages, collection pages, or get them to take the next step that makes sense based on where they are. And then from there, if you're able to accelerate the buying experience on the site during that first session, awesome. Otherwise, you have other channels that if you're able to collect first-party data, can allow you to personalize the marketing and touch points across those channels and eventually convert them into lifelong customers, hopefully, in time. Yeah, I think it's the classic context situation, isn't it? Just like with, if you're a brand with 10 SKUs or a brand with 5,000, right. that's going to determine how you use a funnel and what sort of funnel you create. If you've got 5,000 products, like we were saying earlier, you're probably not going to create a one 
to one funnel to product experience because you could do a really good job of selling that one product, but if it's actually not the one that people want, then they go. Whereas a brand who's got 10 products, they've probably got a hero or two, which they could really focus on. And then maybe some supporting products, which are only ever going to be upsells and things anyway, right? or future purchases. But for those brands that do have maybe like 50 products, trying to think of an example off the top of my head, I guess there's brands like, I don't know how many they have, but Allbirds. Yeah, right. They start off with the one shoe. Now they've got, I'm not too sure how many, but they've got a few variants. Right. So not thousands of SKUs, but you know, they've got multiple of a similar type product. Yeah. So uh, as brands are building up that catalog of of SKUs, like how can you scale that like easily? Reasonably easily. Scaling, applying like a funnel approach to current shoppers. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. If you you were, this funnel approach was working for you, your first few products. What's an efficient way of scaling that up as you expand your product catalog? Yeah. So we've got a lot of brands that use our platform that do have tons of products. Some that have thousands, lots that have 50 plus products. And the way that they do that is basically taking the visitor from where they are and getting them to where the shopper like wants to be and also where you want them to be. So there's certain questions, certain things like that, that you can do maybe with a, a quiz or with a quick survey or understanding their intent, their behavior on the site, on the page. So for example, they've scrolled to a certain point on the page or if they're exiting, they have a different levels of intent. Someone who's scrolling down the page is looking for more information and depending on the time spent on the page might be interested and in maybe taking the next step and maybe you could show a special offer or something like that to collect contact details. Someone who exits is obviously not finding relevant information. And so then being able to guide them to a different path on the site to maybe get to the right content or get to the right product page or collection page, that can be useful there. So it, these brands that do have lots of different products, if they can get the visitor from where they are and ask them through a series of questions, possibly quizzes are really useful for this. I think a lot of brands and marketers think of quizzes as asking all this being like, I've seen too many examples of long quizzes where you're asking way too many questions. And depending on the type of products you sell, you may need to, but most of the time, it's just a matter of like asking, what are you looking for? And then you can even model your navigation as a brand. So the menu might have like the high level collections. If you click on one of those collections, you might have like sub collections. So you can quickly model that in a quiz and within two to three questions, get a shopper to general products that might be relevant to what they're looking for. And that's one way that brands can kind of scale this is essentially just helping the shopper navigate through the website much faster, get to the relevant page that they're looking for. And then from there, try to keep them from abandoning the experience. And if they are going to abandon, rerouting them possibly. Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing I don't think I've ever seen really. I mean, I know some brands will use a, like a hot jar survey or lucky orange survey and say, you know, what, what's the number one reason you didn't buy today? Gather that bit of information before they leave. I don't think I've ever seen someone try and actually stop someone leaving with a pop-up. Really? Something that says, I guess it would need to be a chatbot sort of thing, which is say, oh, it, it looks like you're you're leaving. Did you not find what you were looking for today? Or like, can I help you find what you're looking for today? Something like that. And if you've got the tech in place, you could probably trigger it off behavior. Sure. If someone lands on a product page from an ad and immediately bounces, you probably don't need to display it. 
if someone interacts with the image gallery a little bit and then scrolls down the page a bit then and then goes to exit that's the sort of person you might say can i help you like you're almost trying to say without saying this exactly you know it it looked like you were interested in this product right but something's not there for you so what can we help you with yeah, that's the ideal situation, right? It's almost like being able to, if you see someone walk into a store, you can kind of watch their body language, see their browsing behavior. Did they go to a certain like section of the store, then leave and maybe then find what they were looking for? If you're able to track these different data points and behaviors on the site, then you can potentially engage them at the right time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you have any, like what would be your top, I don't know, three to five things for a funnel for an e-commerce brand it can be or yeah it can be landing page stuff emails upsells whatever you want like what are maybe five things you'd recommend each brand tries to get in that funnel i guess for this purposes we're talking about like hero product led brands probably a bit more sure well so if the brand maybe has some hero products but they have additional products as well some maybe accessories or complementary products the first thing that they can implement that's relatively simple to implement, but can have like a major impact on new sales as well as average order value are like one click upsell campaigns that trigger when someone adds an item to the cart, being able to do shoppers like a personalized recommendation of complimentary products with a certain incentive to add those items to the cart. That's something that brands can quickly do. It's personalized to every shopper based on what was added to the cart. And that as a first step, and it can increase their average order value, which helps re- increase re- return on ad spend. Beyond that, being able to obviously deliver a good offer to shoppers based on the page they're on. Yeah. So if they're on the homepage, for example, like you might have a sort of general standard offer that you give, maybe it's 10% off, maybe it's a cashback offer, free gift card or free gift. If they're on a product or collection page, We've seen that brands who personalize their welcome offers based on the content of the page have had like a three to four X increase in list subscribes. So being able to personalize the welcome offer with like the product name and content that's relevant, the messaging that's relevant to that product that they're visiting or the collection page that they're visiting, that can have a pretty big impact. One big mistake that we see brands make is when people do subscribe through your pop-up or a, a sort of welcome offer, just allowing that pop-up to close and not guiding shoppers to take the next step. So if they're on a page that's not a product page or not a collection page, maybe they're on the home page or a blog post, something like that, being able to drive them from the welcome offer directly into a quiz where you can help them navigate and get to the right product page. Um, or yeah. These are some things that we see brands implementing that drive pretty significant results. Yeah, trying to avoid like dead-end experiences, right? When yep. the user does something, and then you just kind of go, cool, thanks for that. And that's it. You don't give them any direction on what to do next. Exactly. I That that skincare brand I was looking at earlier, they had a... I don't know how I feel about this pop-up. It'd be good to get your opinion on it. Right, so appeared immediately on, on load of the website, just the homepage. And it had something like claim your mystery offer mm. up to 20% off. And I think it said always free returns, something like that. Now, on the right-hand side, it had an image which had a blurred discount on it. So I think it was a product image, I think, with a, in the corner, there was like a blurred discount. And to me, it looked like 10%. Okay. Right. So 
that was my almost initial reaction. I thought it said 10% and then I realized it was a blurred thing. So I thought, well, you're saying 20, up to 20% here. You're also saying 10% here, which makes me think it's probably 10%. I filled in my email address. Then it goes to an SMS form. Click skip on that step. Skipping that step just closed the form. Oh, no. And it's, it's, it turned it into like a little like, tab in the corner. Right. And that tab said 20% off. Oh, I see. Right. So now I was like, now I was like, oh, okay, maybe everyone gets 20% off. So I clicked on that and it just opened up the SMS form again. So I was like, okay, fine. You obviously, like, I have to fill that in to get my code. I think the email came through a little bit later and it was 20% off. But that's something that really bothers me, especially from a CRO point of view. I'm like, just show people the code, like, give them that next step. Either say, here's your code, here's 20% off, use this code. Or this code will be automatically applied for new customers. Right. Something like that. That's really good. And then, yeah, I really like your idea of maybe giving the people the option of start browsing or go to the quiz. Yeah. The product quiz. And another like, thing that I've seen brands do is just drive people to like a bestsellers page where you've got your bestsellers and most of your brands or most of your customers are going to end up buying one of these products. So taking them to a page where they can see those products anyways could be good. Yeah. Yeah, like, like I like that. This again, the skincare brand. They had so they had a, when you went to the their all like all products page. I'm not sure it was that many. I think it was about ten products total. Like some individuals and then some bundles, maybe a few more. On the bestsellers section, I think there was one one product that didn't have a tag on it, like a like a, a label or something. But one said like back in stock. One said bestseller. One said something else, and one said trending on tiktok oh interesting which i thought was really good i thought it was a really interesting yeah interesting label to put on there because that does kind of tell you this is really popular sure i was really disappointed that there was no tiktok content on that product page wow yeah definitely a missed opportunity not even their advert for it right none of their content i thought that was a really yeah a, a real missed opportunity there interesting label though it, it almost like i think as a consumer if I put my consumer hat on, if I see something like that, it's like, okay, well, maybe I get to get, potentially purchase this product before it becomes mainstream. And then I get to tell my friends about it. And yeah. Maybe that early adopter. Yeah. No, I thought, yeah, I thought that was really cool. No, I've not seen that before. Like tr- trending on uh, on TikTok. I'm trying to think. I know I've seen people use video content before that kind of looks like TikTok, TikTok or Instagram story videos. But yeah, n- never just seen a, a tag. So it means that they've gone to the effort of putting that tag there. Right, they've created that image right. for the P, and then decided that's enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's really disappointing. I think as people who are constantly aware of all these CRO opportunities, I think there's so much that we see that's like missed. But yeah, I mean, it was it's like it was such a I don't want to say hit and miss website. I don't, but it was like so much. They did some really good things, and then there was some stuff that was clearly like. Someone's just installed this app and they've and that's it. And that's all they've done. So their product pages were really good actually. Okay. A few little tweaks I'd look at testing and or making. Being a decent image gallery, lots of images, some like images that had USP and content on. They had how do you use this product? And that was really easy to easy to read, easy to understand. They made it sound really easy to use this face mask. Mm. Right. And then they had the ingredients and the key ingredients section labeled an ingredient and then it explained what that ingredient does 
in really simple to understand terms. That's great. So I thought this was great. And then right at the bottom, they just had like full ingredient list and a massive chemicals and things, which I don't know, maybe they've got to put that there. But it was like these sort of things that I'm seeing and I'm like, you've done this really well. You've put effort into this. And then the quiz was just like, here's some products. Yeah. I think part of that has got to be the limitations of the tools, but also people are trying something out and they're not thinking it through fully. But yeah, what can you do? <laughs> the, the, the only thing we can do is bring it, bring it to their attention and hopefully in time, like more things become best practice. Yeah. Any of the mistakes you see brands make? Like big, like common mistakes? So... I, I see them using like site-wide offers instead of personalized offers. So we talked about that a little bit when it comes to like welcome offers and subscribe offers. There's abandonment abandonment campaigns that could be launched when someone has an item in the cart or multiple items in the cart. You could do your browse abandonment campaigns. You could also do cart abandonment campaigns. If someone, let's say, has multiple items in the cart, showing them in a, a campaign, if they've spent I don't know, maybe left, they left the tab open and they never they got distracted, went to a different website. Maybe they're at work and something happens, someone ping them. And so they didn't complete their purchase. Having a, a card abandonment either pop up or it could be a banner that shows up at the top of the site or even just like a small message, maybe in the bottom right corner that reminds them which items they have in the cart and, uh, and gives them an like tries to drive them to completing the purchase. That's something that can be done. It's relatively simple. It doesn't really impact, negatively impact the shopping experience for a consumer and it helps them just understand what they have in the cart. Because sometimes you just see a little ticker. And it's just like, it says three products in the cart and yeah. up in the top right. And uh, yeah, that's something that brands can implement. There's a few other ideas. Yeah. Quite like that. Yeah. So you could have almost like a, you've been inactive for 10 minutes. You can maybe not ping a noise because that might really annoy people but you know how like live chat sometimes live chat will pop up and it'll it'll make a little ping right but then on the tab you can see the little volume icon indicating that a sound's been made so you could maybe not have the sound or just have it super quiet or something so it doesn't interrupt people but then you've got that little interactive bit or like animation going on your tab yeah that gets people in but then also I suppose if someone adds to cart but then keeps browsing the website for a while or you know, clicks a certain number of pages or just spends a certain amount of time on site without going to checkout. Maybe that's another opportunity to, maybe that's when you open up live chat or a concierge thing and say, sure. I notice you're still browsing. Is there anything we can help with? Right. Or if, if let's say they, in that first session, maybe opted in for some sort of like discount or something like that, reminding them that like this it, it, like they need to purchase today, possibly, or within the session in order to get access to that discount. That's something that's that can incentivize them to go ahead and buy now versus later. If you want to use urgency tactics, you can, like countdown timers, things like that. I've seen some brands implement that really well, like Athletics. They have a really interesting intro offer that they make to their shoppers. And it's like this VIP offer. There's a countdown timer. I think it lasts until the end of like a, it's like a 30 minute like window that they gave you, give you there. And then they give you some insane discount or one product, get like multiple products free or something like that. And it really, I think it does help them create new customers by doing something like that too, using some urgency and scarcity. Yeah. Big fan of urgency. I've had a lot of success with shipping timers. Cool. So place your order by or in the next two hours, whatever, to receive it tomorrow or it'll be shipped today. It's never seems to work the same 
for different brands. Mm. So different messaging has worked, but I think it works in the UK in particular because we can have something with you next day. Right. Wherever you are in the UK, you can pretty much be guaranteed the next day provided you hit the cutoff. Whereas I think in the States, it's going to depend a little bit more on your uh, your warehouse setup. Definitely. Whether you've got a warehouse close enough. So that works really well for us. That is a really cool um, tactic. That's one thing I was going to mention. Oh yeah, the discounting thing. Do you think that devalues the brand? Right, okay. Giving a massive discount saying you can get this product and you get all these free with it. That's a great question. I think if you're doing massive discounts, yeah, definitely. We're doing a we recently like uh, have like a webinar workshop going on with a company called Fondue, which does cash back offers. And so instead of offering coupons, they offer cash back through like your welcome offer. And you can, it's pretty, pretty cool because instead of like having to give away margin, you're essentially giving a credit to towards a future purchase. So if someone does yeah. purchase, they purchase that full value or maybe they, and then they get this like either gift card or store credit that they can apply to the next purchase. So that's something that maybe does gives a similar sort of like creates a similar impact with the shopper, but doesn't devalue your brand. Also doesn't hurt your margins. I think discounts still work, whether you decide to use coupons or cashback or whatnot. I think they still work, but yeah, the massive discounts, they probably can hurt brand value. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's your first day? Right? 20%. Oh, sorry. Like 20% off. So I think there's a slight delay between us. I am not a fan of discounting. I get that it has its place, right? It's a good way of acquiring new customers. Sure. A lot of people expect it, right? Now I've looked through exit forms, exit surveys, where so many people have said, do you have a new customer offer? Right? So it, it is kind of expected now because everyone does it. Right. But I think if you do it in certain ways, it works and you can be okay with it. So if you give an offer to get people in the door, right? The first time. That's fine. Be creative with the offers in the follow-ups, right? That's fine. But if you hammer someone with a 20% off or more discount basically every day or every week, no one's ever going to come back and buy at full price. Right. right? They was, get uh, trained to buy. I bought what was uh, what I assumed was an acquisition offer mm. from a supplement brand. So it was like two two small packs of whey protein, a shaker, and then there was a bunch of other bits in it like some protein cookies various bits but it was presented as a bundle in the ads so my assumption as a marketer was this is an acquisition offer that they're using to get me in right every single day i got at least one email maybe two from the day i purchased not even the day i received these products right the day i purchased that i mean well that just got annoying in the end with like different discounts not really. Oh, okay. It was pretty much just flash sale, 50% off. Yeah. Oh, we've extended this flash sale ending today. And then the next day it's like, oh, a new flash sale. And you're like, well, it's not really a flash sale anymore if it's the same every day. Right. Yeah. For, for months on end. Yeah. I don't think that helps build the, the kind of relationship a brand wants with their customers. Have you heard of like, so Drew Sanaki from Postpilot talks a lot about this, the strategy of the discount ladder. Have you looked into that some on how that works? What do you want to explain it? Yeah. Listen, I've come across it. I wouldn't be able to tell you what it is right now. Super interesting, but it makes a lot of sense where essentially, if you are going to use discounts, lead with a lower end discount initially. So something like 10% off, maybe, yeah, something like 10% off or 
something where you're not giving away too much. And then what you end up doing is you end up acquiring customers who were going to buy anyways without having to give them a massive discount. And then maybe after a 30-day period for like if you've added these shoppers to your welcome series and a sequence and things like that, and you already saw the first cohort of customers that would have purchased at 10% off, now you can apply some pressure and follow up with a, let's say a 15 or 20% discount, maybe a 15% discount for the more price sensitive shopper 30 days out. And then maybe like 45, 60 days out lead with a bigger discount for the shoppers that didn't purchase. And so he talks about using this sort of discount ladder to apply pressure over time. And so all the people who are less price sensitive purchase up front and your margins are better on those. Yeah. And then the ones that, you know, are more price sensitive and uh, you might lead with a bigger, uh, they finally have this opportunity to get this great discount. It pushes them over the edge. And then from there, you have you now have a customer with someone who may or may not, I don't know if they're going to buy multiple products, but it pushes them over the edge. I thought it was an interesting strategy. I think it makes sense from a margin protection kind of uh i think yeah so obviously you get that you get those initial people in i think i saw some stats a little while ago from someone saying something like 80 percent of people who signed up for their welcome offer and claimed it within 24 hours nice it was normally within hours right implying that the actual pop-up and and like email flow had nothing to do with it Mm. they literally they were ready to buy they were offered a discount and went cool yeah why not i think with this ladder kind of like it i think it needs to be spaced out because obviously we don't want like an abandoned cart situation happening where people just know they can wait a week right and get a bigger discount they'll wait through three emails and eventually they're going to get a bigger discount and then i think at the end of it you still want to make some money off the purchase right so if 90 days later you're offering 30 percent off if someone makes i guess the average purchase for people doing that in your store are you making money Right, you're at least covering the acquisition cost of that customer, right? Because that would be enough, right? I think a lot of people say you've got these guys who are never going to buy from you, or that they're only going to buy if they get a discount. You've still paid for those people already, right? So if you can get them to at least pay for themselves, and then you just say, "Cool, we're done with you," that's an automated flow. It's not costing you anything to do, really, right? And the people who were going to buy at at a different price point would have bought already, anyways. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know that I, when I'm ready to buy something and I want something, I might do a quick Google for a discount code just to see if anything's out there. But I very rarely, if there's no pop-up or anything, I very rarely sit around and wait to see if I get an email from them. Same. Maybe every now and again, I'll do an abandoned cart one just to see if I get a discount from them. But normally, I want the product, so I'll buy it. And I think that's generally where a lot of people are. If they decide they want something, they will just buy it. The discount is a little bonus. Agreed. One one little idea you reminded me of when you mentioned cashback, one thing I've wanted to try out is offering gift cards as an upsell in the cart. So you would do it based off a calculation. So it depends on free shipping. Let's say free shipping thresholds $100. If I've got $90 in my cart, yeah, roughly $90, test offering a like a $20 gift card right as an upsell right because it's just cash at the end of the day all they're doing is buying some store specific cash right instead of buying something that they might not actually want it gets them over that free shipping threshold 
it gives them $20 credit, which if they don't use it, you've got $20 extra. If they do use it, like you said, with the cashback, they've made another purchase, which could be another $100. Or potentially what happens is they give that gift card to someone and then you get another cost- customer for $20. I love the cashback idea and gift card idea. I think it's I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really, be really interesting one to test. Fondue does a great job at that. And I think your idea of like being able to get people to a certain card value or get them over the free shipping threshold there in order to unlock that. I think that's a really cool idea that brands should definitely test. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> cool. So just before we, we finish up, because we're just about to run out of time, if you could pick the brains of anyone in the e-commerce world, who would it be? That's a great question. Well, I think it would be someone who's worked with a lot of different brands. Let's see here. So I think the Fabletics team I think they're executing really well just in the fitness apparel space. So if I could pick someone's brain, probably someone at that company, because they're, I think, merging both offline retail and online e-commerce really well. From what I've read, they, for example, are big on personalization. So they track all these different data points on the shoppers. And then offline, if like you add, if you go to, what is it? The dressing room, for example, they will like, mark down what products you took into the cart, took into the dressing room, basically add it to your cart. And then when you leave, if you don't purchase, you'll get abandonment flows and emails and things like that, you know, that you have these items in the cart. And when you go to their website, like if you click through a link in the email, you're taken to the site with like those products in cart. Like the just the way they're combining both offline and online is really interesting. Yeah. And how they they do some really interesting things that I don't see other brands do. So for example, their homepage if you're logged out and uh, and are not a customer, any link you click on the homepage takes you to a very like personalized quiz, which is basically all around creating your profile. So they ask key questions like your size, things like that, what style you're into, and then get you to to a, an intro offer. But most brands, their homepage is like a portal to all these other pages. And so a lot of shoppers get overwhelmed. There's lots of options for them to kind of consider before like finding a relevant product or purchasing. And Fabletics just creates this really streamlined experience, which I think is interesting. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that sounds really cool. The offline to online. That's definitely very cool. Yeah. Cool. So if you've got like one final piece of advice for brands, what would that be? I think they can start with don't drop the ball on the welcome offer take shoppers and guide them to take the next step towards purchasing. So don't let the welcome offer just close. Either guide them to a quiz where you can help them navigate through your product catalog and get to a product page or collection page or even a specific landing page that sells a bundle of products designed to get the outcome for the customer wants or take them to your best sellers or to a specific collection page that helps the shopper find the right product faster. So I think that as a starting point is a an important move for a lot of brands yeah awesome all right thank you so much ethan thank uh, you if anyone wants to reach out find out more what's the best way of doing that yeah so i mean they can email me at ethan at convertflow i'm on twitter ethan h denny that works you're gonna keep calling it twitter oh that's right x or just find me on linkedin maybe that's easier nowadays <laughs> yeah is, is it weird to say yeah follow me on x it sounds like a placeholder doesn't it yeah i'm not used follow me on x not used to it yet yeah, same. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Ethan. Thanks, Will. Have a good one. The key takeaway I want to share is that funnels don't need to overwhelm you. 
The beauty lies in their simplicity. Start with the basics, choose your main products and experiment with some ads. Think of it as like setting up a landing page. It's pretty straightforward and focused. Once you've got the hang of it, the real magic begins. You can fine tune the entire funnel based on where your customers are coming from and the messages that caught their attention. Curious to hear more insights from Ethan, drop by his LinkedIn profile. And if you've got any questions about the podcast, feedback to share or perhaps an intriguing guest in mind, I'm all ears at will at customerswhoclick.com. You can also shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Our next episode is a real treat. I'll be chatting with Ollie Richards about his fresh take on the value ladder. But for now, let's keep those customers clicking.